0: welcome to the education marketing leader podcast with chris raposo if you're looking to dive into the latest industry insights draw inspiration from education success stories or just want to sharpen your marketing skills you're in the right place here we bring you a diverse range of voices from experts and leaders in the field offering you a unique blend of professional development and practical strategies whether you want to understand your audience better stay updated with the latest tech trends in marketing, or expand your professional network, we've got you covered. So while you're driving on your morning commute or winding down after a busy day, let's explore the dynamic world of education marketing together. With your more than 15 years of experience in higher ed marketing, (laughs) one important lesson that you've learned over the course of your marketing career that you can share with the audience.
1: So I I think I'm going to answer this with a slightly more personal lesson, if that's okay. Um, so, and this might be a lesson for those maybe earlier in their career, but it, it. I learned it about 10 years ago. Stop sometimes and look behind you and take stock of the things that you have accomplished because we can get so overwhelmed. There's so much work. There's so much to do. There's so much in front of us that sometimes we don't, realize everything that we have accomplished. So I think that that helps with imposter syndrome. I think it helps with just the general sort of feeling of like, oh my gosh, yet another thing, yet another obstacle, yet another thing to have to push myself through. Um, And then also, you know, approaching that with some gratitude, you know, all the people that you got to work with along the way who helped you, who were colleagues, who were supporters, who removed roadblocks for you. So that's kind of my... (laughs) I got a little more uh, sentimental there than I was maybe thinking that I was going to but that's kind of that's that's a big that's been a huge lesson for me that I've taken forward in my career
0: well you're you're my kind of guy David so I really <laughs> answer. that answer wasn't for the audience that answer was for me Hello, and welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Education Marketing Leader with Chris Raposa. Today, I have the pleasure to welcome David Hunt, the Director of Digital Marketing, Comms, and Creative Director at Old Dominion University. David, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chris. It's great to be here. So I recently interviewed Jamie Hunt, David's wife, on my show, and then I learned about David a little bit and he was on Jamie's show and that's how I learned a little bit more about David and his non-traditional student background. You graduated from university at the age of 30 or something like
1: that. Uh, about 35 or he so, got... yeah, somewhere in there.
0: <laughs> okay, great. So but you've been in higher ed for about 15 years now. So you are yeah broken there. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey into higher ed marketing why you chose higher ed and and your role
1: Sure, absolutely. Um, So my first job in higher ed was actually working as a graphic designer in a central marketing office at a small private university in Wisconsin. And I did that while I was finishing my bachelor's degree as an adult student in a degree completion program that had just launched at that university. Um, And since I was in my teens, I'd been interested in both writing and design, but that was my first job in higher ed, my first dedicated design job. So from there, I went to Virginia Tech, where I led communications for alumni relations. So kind of the opposite side of the enrollment piece that I'm in now. Um, There, I oversaw website migration, got my first experience supervising full-time staff, um, became one of the university's primary point people on email marketing. And then after that, I worked at the School of Business at Wake Forest in a design position where I was also doing writing, writing, editing, um, as well as working with a web team and enrollment marketing staff. Then um, I served at Miami University as director of strategic digital marketing that was housed in academic affairs, reporting directly to the provost. And then about a year ago, a little over a year ago now, I started working at um, Old Dominion at ODU Global, which is our division of digital learning um, at the university. I was hired as a creative director, sorry, I was hired as the director of digital marketing And uh, now I've assumed the role of creative director as well. So I have a team of people who do content, design, web, project management, and we're on the cusp of adding some additional positions like social media manager. Um, So that's kind of my background. Awesome.
0: Yeah, ODU Global. I actually graduated from the University of Florida. Uh, You would never know it because right here, the background, I have a degree and it looks like the degree the kids get on campus. So no difference. There, so can you give us a little bit about a brief overview of Old Dominion University Online, Their what sets them apart from other universities, such as the University of Phoenix, for example?
1: Yeah, so I think from an organizational standpoint, um, one of the most unique things about ODU is that we actually have a long history of providing distance learning. It actually predates the internet. So back in the mid-1980s, we were offering courses on U.S. Navy ships, Um, Our university is located in Norfolk, Virginia. There's a huge military, Navy presence. Um, And then in the 90s, we were doing satellite delivery of our programs in partnership with the Virginia Community College System. And then in 2010 was when ODU really launched a big push for online degree programs. Um, So now fast forwarding to today, the university has really identified um, online programs as where we're going to have our major enrollment growth. So we have a very serious, uh, commitment to online programs. Um, we've got an exciting vision and plan for growth. We have leadership that embraces and encourages innovation, lots of big goals and great colleagues. And it's been a really exciting place to work. Um, and then I guess from a marketing standpoint, you know, everyone talks about how they care about their students, of course, like no one is going to say my university doesn't care about students. Um, but I do think that we, um, I think our our support staff, our admissions people um, really do offer next level care. Um, The university cares about affordability and access to education. We serve a lot of first gen students. Um, I myself was one of them. And so the support that we give them to find the right program, to make it through that program um, is really inspiring and part of what I really love about being at ODU.
0: Yeah, I love that you went through that as well. So you have the, you know, you know what they're looking for, these kind of students and what they need. So you can tailor your messaging to their, to their needs. So good. Yeah. Good on ODU for having you. That's for sure. Well, thank you. (laughs) So primary channels of promoting an online program. Now, here's the funny part. When I learned about the University of Florida online, it was through a direct mail piece. It wasn't. Yeah. But how about you? How how do you promote your online program to students?
1: Yeah, we do a lot. Um, I think from a cost-effective standpoint, PPC is kind of often the low-hanging fruit. Um, But from a performance standpoint, I've seen a lot of variation, um, which kind of tends to push me in the direction of not advising anybody to put all their eggs in one basket. You know, like when I was at Miami doing grad program marketing, There were months where LinkedIn was our best performer, but then the next month it might be meta or YouTube. And so I think it's important to try to test channels um, and truly test, spend enough so that you can actually test. Um, And then, you know, of course, there are other bigger parts of the puzzle. I I talk a lot about web because all these different things that we do, regardless of the channels, we're ultimately pushing people to landing pages and websites. And so... You know, those need to be amazing. They're the single most important thing that you need to solve. Um, You know, and all the things that get connected into that. SEO obviously is important. Content marketing is a whole other separate thing. And then to your point, some direct mail and some of those kind of old traditional uh, marketing channels can still make a real impact. Um, As people are more and more used to digital, sometimes that print stuff is what makes you stand out.
0: Absolutely. At least when you get a print piece, you look at it, right? If, yeah, getting, if yeah. you see something online, it just blows by because you're so used to it. You just don't even look at it. You may have an impression, of, but oh, it shows up as an impression, but that doesn't mean anybody actually looked at the stuff. Right, right. So I understand, we just talked about it briefly, you were a non-traditional student and you took yeah. some online courses as well. Can you tell us a little bit about the personal experience you had with online yeah. programs and how does it affect the way you market them today?
1: Yes. Yeah. So I started college in the 90s at a very small, very religious institution, but I didn't finish my degree until 2010. So I was in my mid-30s or so. Um, so I was a non-traditional student from about 2008 to 2010. Um, and at the time, um, being able to do classes on the internet almost felt a little bit like living in the future. I like, I tend to be an early adopter. I love learning. I love technology. I love finding new and better ways to do things. So it's not like I ever had any sort of suspicion of online learning or anything like that, but being an online student relatively early and and early-ish in my career, earlier in my career was really impactful because what I discovered was at least for me, modality had almost no impact on how much I enjoyed a class how much I got out of the class the quality of the class um I was highly motivated so not all students are um and so that's that's certainly a factor in it um but I had great and mediocre classes in person and great and mediocre classes online um and so because of that you know like the things that really came down to for me were the at the time was really the professor, like how engaged was the professor? How much had the professor embraced the online modality if it was an online course? But the two best classes that I had, one of them was online, one of them was in person. So to me, it kind of early in my career cemented that from a rigor standpoint, from an outcome standpoint, there is nothing necessarily lesser about online. Um, or there, do, at least there doesn't have to be. Um, so I think it's been, I didn't have any sort of prejudice against online that I needed to overcome during my career, you know, because I, I got to see that pretty early um, and directly.
0: Yeah, that's a good point you made that you had some classes that were better, some that were not so good. But in the end, it was because you put in the effort, right? As an adult learner, you had that drive and ambition and vision. Mm-hmm for yourself you wanted to go somewhere so you applied yourself yeah. you know it doesn't mean that uh, like you said you can have as good of an experience online as on campus if you're a slacker on campus you right know, <laughs> you're well you know and especially right. if you're um if you're doing it online and you're a slacker man you can't get away with that stuff because right. you're going to fall behind fast and it's all downhill from there so
1: mm-hmm.
0: with the rise of online education it's going to be a surge in competition as well How can higher ed marketers ensure that their online programs stand out in a saturated market?
1: Yeah, that's a multi-million dollar question. (laughs) Um, It sometimes feels like so many of us are saying the same things, right, across all of higher ed. Um, There are some obvious answers that, of course, aren't actually obvious and easy to achieve, like have an amazing brand that really understands your position as an institution. Um, I do think understanding the audience you're trying to serve The market for your programs, these again are kind of obvious, but really important. What are your university's strengths? Are there programs that you're known for? Are there programs that are routinely turning away the most number of students um, that have opportunity to grow? Um, And this starts to get kind of outside of marketing's purview. But like at Miami University, we had a program incubator that pulled together people from across the university, academic affairs, budget and finance, admissions, marketing, and others to talk about what programs are being developed and should move forward so that even at the earliest stages, marketing had a seat at the table. So, like, I'm not an expert on developing curriculum, but I might be able to help you name a program so that when somebody searches for something, they're going to find the name of that program, right? So, um, I think that sort of a deep understanding, deep, deep integration. And then um, one other thing I'll add is just, I think, personalization is increasingly a big deal um something that i think uh and we might get into this a little further into the conversation but something that i think is actually starting to become attainable maybe in higher ed so um lots of things to consider there are no easy answers but yeah
0: yeah personalization is huge these days and the company that i work for they actually got a personalization tool so some of our clients have got yeah. So an increase in applications because of the ease of use, right? Somebody gets to your website and then they get content as well as when they go to Amazon or Netflix. And I'm not saying, you know, market your institution like an Amazon store, but the convenience of getting a tailored content of the stuff that you actually want to see, Yes. having to go through multiple pages in order in order to get to it that's just a convenience factor everybody's accustomed to on other websites yes So you know you want to make sure that you higher ed institution aligns with what people are already used to and you spoke about yes. Miami university so every time i hear miami U- university i think about ben roethlisberger the quarterback who, who played for the pittsburgh steelers and um you know, it it makes me think of student testimonials, student spotlights, which in effect is it's it's storytelling. Can you talk about the role of storytelling in your marketing strategy, and and how do you convey the the values of an online education to potential students through the medium of storytelling?
1: Sure. So yeah, uh, just a few months back, we hired a new content strategist. I'm super excited. About what he's bringing to the table, what this means for our long-term ability to do more of this, um, and I've been thinking a lot about this in relation to content marketing. I've been reading um, Joe Polizzi and Brian Piper's epic content marketing book, which is just fantastic. If if you haven't read it, um, read it. I um, Yes. Yeah, so all these ideas are kind of percolating and leading to just yes, it's a fantastic book. Um, leading to all sorts of ideas for how we do this more and do this better. Um, I've long been a fan of richer content and storytelling that has some emotional appeal, right? Like I think being able to highlight students that have overcome things in their life, alumni achievements, all that stuff is wonderful. Um, I think if you have things like salary, starting salary data and students getting companies at fortune 500 or students getting jobs at fortune 500 companies, all that stuff is great. Um, my wife talks about marketing is both an art and a science. And I think that the content is there's something similar there where we need the hard facts that students are looking for easily, quickly, you know, to them. So like if they want to know how much tuition costs as an example, you know, sometimes institutions get a little cagey about some of those kinds of things. But then there's also the softer side where we're going after, you know, these stories that talk about how education broadly, but then our institutions specifically lead to somebody having their life transformed. So um, I think that those emotional appeals can be really powerful. Um, And then we also start to go down the road again of kind of like SEO and Mm -hmm. content that manages to serve both SEO and give students information that they might need at a time when they're looking for things like how to decide what their Program is going to be or what kind of career they want and outcomes and all those kinds of things navigating the college process. So I think this whole piece wrapped around the idea of content marketing is just a huge thing that um, I think everybody is trying to solve. Um, We're certainly I think on the cusp of making some great steps forward at ODU with that
0: yeah absolutely I, can't, I cannot tell you the amount of times i went on a website for for the institution that i went to university of florida online yeah. and at their careers page like what can i actually do with this job and then i checked how much money do i actually yes with that job because in the end it's the roi right i'm putting yep. all my money into my degree am i going to get it out um and which i wanted to make sure i'll pursue a degree that'll Allow yeah. me to do that and have
1: a absolutely
0: career trajectory go to I don't know CMO one one day in my life right right and that degree affords me that ability but so pivoting a little bit and yeah. when you know it's twenty twenty three we just went through a pandemic which yeah. changed a lot regarding how people view online education you said ODU has done it for like years and years right yeah. before other mm-hmm. did it but. Those still skeptical about its quality and effectiveness of an online degree, how do you address these concerns in your marketing material?
1: Yeah, I, I think COVID is an interesting point. Um, at Miami, we did talk about COVID and how it may have contributed to the impact of appetite for online courses. You know, when everything suddenly went online and faculty who were unprepared for online delivery and students who hadn't signed up for an online experience were suddenly having that forced upon them. Like, would it make them less likely to consider an online graduate degree down the road if they'd been robbed of a year of in-person undergraduate study and had not had a great experience? Um, But I think by and large, we've been able to let go of most of the need to justify the online modality. There are some people who are going to want the in-person experience. And there can certainly be a host of valid reasons for that. And some programs that simply won't work online. You know, you, if you need access to a chemistry lab, you're not going to be able to do that in your house. Or, uh, you know, if there are all sorts of programs that fall into that kind of category. Um, so, but I think that, and I think that there are probably some small internal pockets of resistance in academia that would maybe look down their noses a little bit at online education. But I think that that's a case of, internal bias not really being reflective of where most learners, at least adult learners, are at these days, Um, or the market realities. I mean, you look at the success of giants in online education, right? And it's difficult to see much need to argue for the quality and effectiveness of online education beyond the marketing that everyone is doing, you know, touting the flexibility and the benefits of being able to attend a university that's maybe not commuter distance to you and, and all that kind of stuff. So, I would say, I mean, we're certainly mindful. We want to, we want to talk about the benefits of online, but I think that we're doing less active convincing of skeptics. I think if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. But in the end, if there's internal skeptics, I always say, and we, I heard a lot of higher ed marketers mm-hmm. say, the the website and the the messaging on the website is not for the faculty; it's for the for the prospective yes. students, right? Yes, and um in especially for adult learners it's all about convenience and flexibility and if you offer that uh, along with a rigorous program that'll actually get them career ready then you're on the winning side of things doesn't really matter what the faculty thinks um you just got to get them in front of a camera i guess and (laughs) record some lectures but um
1: well and you you make a you make an interesting point there too cuz you know like the idea that like sometimes you might have leadership or a board or something that talks about not seeing the advertising or the marketing that you have out and it's like well yes we're not marketing to somebody who's 65 years old who's not you know like you shouldn't be seeing it because if our marketing is targeted enough you're not the audience so we'll happily show you things that we're doing but for you to natively see that without actively looking for it it was kind of a failure in our targeting if you're getting served that naturally. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Absolutely. yeah they're, they're not the target audience. So they should get you and clicking on it and then waste your uh, ad, ad budget. There. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, what, are you, what are your thoughts on partnerships and collaborations with the uh, corporations? Uh, it couldn't be a great way to expand reach, right? When you go into yes. some companies where it travels fast, are there any, strategic partnerships you were able to form over the years working in higher ed, maybe during your time at Wake Forest?
1: Yeah, so I I haven't been directly involved with establishing those partnerships, and I am grateful for mm-hmm. that because that's just not my, my uh, strength. Um, and I wouldn't say it was necessarily specifically for online, but at Wake Forest, we had, um, at the business school, we had a number of corporate partners, and they would do things like provide internships for our students, um, sponsor competitions for our students, of course, help fill our classes, um, serve on our boards. Uh, When I was there, we launched a business analytics master's and we had corporate partners who served on an advisory board to actually help form and give input on what kind of curriculum, you know, what should students be getting out of that program if this corporation then wants to hire them having earned that degree. So I think it absolutely can be something particularly, you know, I I think of, I mean, my, my background with it was in business. You know, I think healthcare is another one of those areas, you know, like having healthcare programs, having partnerships with healthcare systems and and some of those kinds of things um, can make a huge impact and establishing them is hard work, but marketing can absolutely um, and should support those efforts. Cause you're right. They can be a big, impact on giving students both a richer you know getting students a richer experience as well as just getting students into your program
0: absolutely absolutely but you know in the end of the day you have to report to somebody and show that your marketing efforts actually work so yes Talk about conversion tracking a little bit, because it is significant, you know, in order to get a little bit of a higher budget if you need it. So could you discuss how you track the ROI of your marketing campaigns and Mm -hmm. what sort of KPIs are most indicative of a campaign's success?
1: Yeah, so attribution is a huge challenge, right? Um, Marketing is making, I think, some significant strides in how we can answer the questions of what things converted, and, but even then, you know, we have those old marketing truisms of people needing to have multiple touches before they convert. And so what actually contributes to that conversion, um, at prior institutions, I was one of the marketing voices, educating people that yes, as an institution, we ultimately want fully enrolled students, you know, butts in seats, whether those seats are in a classroom or at a home computer or a laptop for our online students, but. From a marketing and admissions funnel standpoint, marketing doesn't do this on its own. So marketing drives lead generation inquiries, application starts, and you know things like info session registrations. So we look at those. And of course, we care about yield rates. And anything we can do to attach yield rates to specific tactics and identify which ones are performing better um, is important. But then, you know, I'm always quick to talk about the need for an amazing admissions team. Um, And in many cases for grad, you have individual programs also reviewing graduate applications. And that needs to be processed quickly and as dialed in as possible. I um, I, I fell in love with this stat uh, that I discovered a few years ago from RNL. They did a study with showing that seventy percent of grad students apply to more than one university, and eighty percent of those students attend the first school that that admits them. Mm-hmm. So, as a marketer, I'm not in control of any of that. I can get you the lead, I can get you a started application, but if an an application sits with somebody for six months, we're going to lose that person, and that's not something that marketing can really fix. So, um. There are amazing admissions people and program people out there. And when you find the right ones who are committed to growth and realize that we can all move together and have skin in the game and pull in the same direction, it's incredible and exciting and rewarding. Um, so when I had this kind of light bulb moment when I was at Miami where this all kind of clicked in for me. And it was like seeing the code in the matrix, right, where you realize like, oh, like holistically, this all needs to just come together and work. Um, and then you can really maximize your ROI and m- by making sure that you have that really airtight funnel all the way through. Mm-hmm. Exactly.
0: You you can't work in silos, regardless of what no. is, you know, corporation institutions you're a part of. I work directly with the sales team on my company and I work <laughs> so closely with them to make sure we're all aligned, walking in the same direction. Because if I bring in the leads and they aren't able to close them, you know, I'm not get in. Make sure I'm going to bring them actually some people that that are qualified, right? Yeah. Because if I'm sitting here and you know, washing my hands and say, hey, I brought you leads, but if they're crappy leads, then um it's not gonna do any good. But if I bring you a good lead and you don't follow up on that lead, then we're gonna have a problem at the end as well, right? It's the same with the admissions process. If there's a request for information there and it sits there for a couple of weeks, like you said, somebody else is already called them and already got yeah. them in school. So you got to be. Yeah.
1: Gotta you be, do. And I think, I think it's, I don't have the number in front of me. I think it's a LinkedIn stat that something like 75% of, of student leads that are not properly nurtured, you lose um, to your point about like nurturing those, like that has to be part of the process or you're going to lose people.
0: Yeah. Because everybody's got, got an agenda and they got to go somewhere. Right. And there's a reason yeah. why they apply to your school because they got it. Maybe they're um maybe they're graduating from a two-year school trying to get into a four-year school yep. you know so yep. that's what i went through i i, I did yeah. my AA and then i went to a university so i needed yep. to get quick so i don't do yes. that but yeah. looking to the future let's see mm. what trends or innovations do you foresee in the realm of online education marketing and how does odu prepare to leverage them
1: yes so i teased personalization earlier um i think Enterprise CRMs that have been allowing corporate marketing departments to, with deep pockets and large staff to do all these amazing things that are well outside the budget and ability of a lot of higher ed institutions. Um, but more and more institutions, more and more universities are using things like Salesforce and Slate. And when they get fully built out, they unlock a lot of potential particularly when it starts to get married in with AI. I mean, everybody's talking about AI these days. I'm part of that chorus. I don't have any plans to stop. Um, I think um, part of that is because while everyone's talking about it, there's still a fairly small percentage of people who are actively on the daily using it, right? And so the opportunity for fully baked AI functionality combined with a fully stood up and functioning CRM like Salesforce is going to be a revolution for higher ed that is already starting to happen. And then I also think like, I'm a creative director. I also see this this revolution happening with design. I have staff who are having these lightning bolt moments all the time as they're seeing what tools can now do. When I first started using Photoshop in the 90s, doing something like separating somebody from a background in a photo could take minutes to hours depending on the image. And now you literally click on the people and drag and in Canva, and they're isolated, they're separated. It's tried to fill in the background and give you an actual realistic background as if the people were never there. So instead of having to spend all the time and effort to execute these things, you can now spend, this happens in seconds or less, and now you think about all the time savings for something like that, that was a menial task. You know, it's fun to have creative ideas, but a lot of times the actual execution of them is not fun. So freeing up people to actually do the more higher level creative thinking work um, is just a a, a huge opportunity. And it starts to feel like, again, circling back to to personalization and some of those things, it starts to feel like on the horizon, we may be able as higher ed, marketers, we may be able to actually do some of these things. Um, so I'm a huge believer in AI and I'm grateful our leadership at ODU global is strongly committed to supporting our staff as we identify and embrace these innovative tools. Um, and then I'm also grateful. There's so many cool people in our space and outside of our space. Um, you know, uh, Bart Taylor, as an example, you know, like there's, there's so many great people talking about AI, helping the the higher ed, community family learn about these things and then outside higher ed, there's all sorts of great resources too so um i hate to be yet another person talking about ai but when i think about just like the spectrum of where this it hits both high and in the weeds for how much this can revolutionize everything i'm so excited about what this is going to free us up to be able to do um it's just it's one of those things that gets me out of bed in the morning excited to go to work
0: yeah, same. I'm all in with AI. And um, I was a big fan of the Higher Ed Marketer AI Summit they just put on. Yes. With Bart, you know, it was great to see everybody speak there. And um, at the beginning of the year, actually, in May, Hannon Hill, we, I organized a webinar, a roundtable discussion on generative AI and JetGPT and how higher ed marketers can leverage it. So Bart, uh, myself, Caroline Dunn, she's uh, out of Atlanta and Kyle Campbell. We all went on a roundtable discussion together and talked about it back, that's in, awesome. back in May when everybody yeah. was what's going on, you know? so Yeah, we, that's we, we're awesome. we the early adopters here as well. But let's bring the episode to a close real quick with your more than 15 years of experience in higher ed marketing. <laughs> one important lesson that you've learned over the course of your marketing career that you can share with the audience.
1: So I'm... I think I'm going to answer this with a slightly more personal lesson, if that's okay. Um, so, and this might be a lesson for those maybe earlier in their career, but it, it I learned it about 10 years ago. Um, one of the universities that I was at, I was there for five years. It was my first time as a, in a director role. And I took that job with a sense of imposter syndrome that never went away. So I kind of had this constant pit in my stomach the entire time I was there. I worked really hard to the point where I was starting to impact my health a bit. Uh, And the whole time I felt like there was this mountain of work in front of me. And I was judging myself pretty hard because I couldn't move every rock of that mountain out of my way, even though most days I felt like I had like a spoon at my disposal to do that work. Right. And then um, my wife got a new job that was going to require us to relocate. So I was starting the process of looking for a new job. And I went in to start updating my resume for the first time in five years. And I started updating my resume and I kept updating my resume. And it wasn't until in those last weeks at that job that I realized how much I actually had accomplished. Um, I had great leadership there. I've been fortunate in my career to have people who I would put on a personal kind of Mount Rushmore of like great leaders that I've worked with. And, um, My supervisor there was one of those people. I'm still in contact with her. She's amazing. And she did plenty to try to make me feel appreciated, but I never took that in in any sort of deep way because all I saw was the things that I wanted to accomplish that I couldn't quite get to. So I learned that, first of all, if you're the kind of person that I was then, there's always going to be that mountain in front of you. You're never going to get rid of it. It's always going to be there. And it's okay as long as you're getting the most important things done. And then the bigger takeaway for me was stop sometimes and look behind you and take stock of the things that you have accomplished because we can get so overwhelmed. There's so much work. There's so much to do. There's so much in front of us that sometimes we don't realize everything that we have accomplished. So I think that that helps with imposter syndrome. I think it helps with just the general sort of feeling of like, Oh my gosh, Yet another thing, yet another obstacle, yet another thing to have to push myself through. Um, And then also, you know, approaching that with some gratitude, you know, all the people that you got to work with along the way who helped you, who were colleagues, who were supporters, who removed roadblocks for you. So that's kind of my, I got a little more uh, sentimental there than I was maybe thinking that I was going to, but that's kind of, that's, that's a big, that's been a huge lesson for me that I've taken forward in my career.
0: Well you're you're my kind of guy, David. So I really like that <laughs> answer that answer wasn't for the audience. That answer was for me because I feel the same way. Uh-huh. I am always well, harder on myself than anybody else can be, always criticizing myself more than anybody else would. And as soon as I hit that goal, I don't give myself a moment to enjoy it. I'm like, what's yeah. next, man?
1: I gotta yeah, go. what's the next goal? Yeah, yeah. I gotta
0: climb that mountain, right? People say play hard not work hard play hard i'm all about working hard i'm i don't play that's the problem with me yeah. so you get to that edge you know of burnout man so you got to be very very yeah. careful you got to be very very yep. careful that's why it takes partners like i'm sure your wife helps you with that sometimes like my wife does oh absolutely yell out a little bit and then take on the next thing
1: so yes, yes. All right,
0: David, It was a super episode. Now, if people want to connect with you or learn more about you, what's the best way to connect with you?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm on LinkedIn. That's kind of the only social media channel that I that I almost use these days. Um, but I'm I'm happy to connect there. Um anyone's welcome to reach out. Um, you'll find me if you if you look for Uh, Dave or David Hunt, I think you'll be able to find me. Um, Again, I'm at ODU Global, Old Dominion University. So that's how you pick me out amongst all the David Hunts. Awesome.
0: David, I really appreciate you being a part of the show. You have a good day and I see you soon.
1: Thank you, Chris.